Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. It's been 3,303 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 384 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that Russia no longer has the resources to cause catastrophic economic, social, or military disruptions by targeting Ukraine's electrical infrastructure. Second, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. Third, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Federation Armed Forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Fifth, We maintain that, short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, those are seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. Sixth, we maintain that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Seventh, We maintain that the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Russian MOD has reached a dangerous level that threatens to derail the only successful Russian offensive operation since June 2022 in Bakhmut. Eighth, we maintain that the Russian MOD is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin both on and off the battlefield. Ninth, we maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, we maintain the Kremlin is actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. One year ago yesterday, on March 13, 2022, 30 Russian cruise missiles struck the joint Ukrainian-NATO training base in Yavoriv near the Polish border, killing dozens. Russian troops attempted a wet crossing over the Irpin River to advance on Kyiv, which resulted in catastrophic losses. 
journalist and documentary filmmaker Brent Renaud was killed in Irpin by Russian troops. In Kherson, Russian troops fired live rounds into the air to disperse protesters. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. Russian forces attacked Dvorichna and Khryanikivka, with a video showing a squad of Russian soldiers in southeastern Khryanikivka. The video provided the first glimpse of the region since October 2022, revealing the village has been devastated by months of fighting. The video showed two drone-delivered IEDs being dropped on the Russian squad, rendering the unit combat ineffective. The video is graphic, and as with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. We updated the map based on the new information, moving the line of conflict south and expanding the gray area. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported they held defensive lines in Masyutivka, while the Russian MOD reported their forces fired artillery at the village. Russian DRG units have crossed the Oskil River in the past. In our assessment, the attack on Dvorichna was a reconnaissance or sabotage unit. The Russian MOD reported their forces shelled Khryanikivka and launched airstrikes on Ukrainian positions. Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported that Ukrainian and Russian reconnaissance units were fighting in the area of Kislivka. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Russian forces ended their operational pause, significantly increasing the amount of artillery fire and attacking multiple points on the line of conflict with reserve troops. The attacks are uncoordinated, with localized fighting in numerous locations. The GSAFU reported that Novoselivsk was shelled, while Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reported Ukrainian forces launched an attack on Kuzimivka. In the Kremina operational area, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhii Khaidai reported that Russian forces were attacking around the clock. Orgonzo reported that Russian forces were attacking Makhivka, while Ukrainian and Russian sources reported sustained attacks in the direction of Nevsky. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces attempted to advance in the area of Chervonopopivka without success. Wargonzo also reported an attempted advance on Terni, while Rybar reported an advance in the direction of Yampolivka. A geolocated video showed a squad of Russian troops trying to occupy a forward position in the gray area southeast of Yampolivka. The unit was rendered combat destroyed by artillery fire, with two surviving members retreating. We did not change the line of conflict due to the lack of evidence that Russian troops could hold the advanced position. Fighting continued near Dibrova and in the Serebryansky woods, with no change in the situation. In the Lysychansk operational area, intense fighting restarted for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. A Russian-sourced video was geolocated, which showed Ukrainian forces are further east of Little Bilohorivka than previously assessed. In our assessment after terrain analysis, we believe the line of conflict has moved to the first ridgeline east of the settlement. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported six rockets fired by HIMARS hit Russian-occupied Krustalny. There was significant civilian chatter on Russian social media channels 
which were deleted by group admins as quickly as they were created. In northeast Donetsk in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces shifted from attempts to regain lost positions near Spirna and tried to advance from the Verknokomyanka oil refinery toward Verknokomyanske. In the Solidar operational area, Russian forces attempted to advance on Vasyukivka without success. Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Minkivka and the M3 or E40 highway. In the Bakhmut operational area, Russian forces continued to attack Orikhovo-Vasilivka from the east and north, but were unable to advance. It's worth noting that despite Yevgeny Prigozhin, leader of PMC Wagner Group, denying that Orikhovo-Vasilivka was captured or contested and requesting that Russian media stop getting ahead of itself, Rybar continued to claim the village was mostly under the control of PMC Wagner. Unable to advance on Botanivka, Russian forces attempted to move west toward Ryorivka without gaining any new territory. Reporting on the situation in Bakhmut, Oleksandr Sirsky, commander of the Ukrainian ground forces, said, quote, The situation around Bakhmut remains difficult. Wagner's assault units are advancing from several directions, trying to break through the defense of our troops and advance to the central areas of the city, end quote. While preparing the situation report for this episode, photos of PMC Wagner mercenaries in the Azom metal factory complex at the Vostokmash Enterprise building emerged. This is the building where Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed his troops and was presented with a signed battle flag in December 2022. Based on this intelligence, we adjusted the map and gray zone. There were no further reports about the mine, bunker and tunnel network under the industrial area, with Rybar claiming that all tunnels were already secured. In our assessment, this seems unlikely due to a lack of reports from any other source, including PMC Wagner. PMC Wagner and Russian troops continue to make no attempts to encircle Bakhmut and are fighting attritional warfare to push Ukrainian forces out of the city. Reinforcing that point, Russian propagandist Ridovka rebutted Western mainstream media claims that the T-504 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, has been severed or made too dangerous to use. They maintain that the road is subject to intermittent artillery strikes but not cut off, which is supported by videos we've shared over the last 72 hours. A video showed Ukrainian armor advancing with impunity on Russian troops in a trench the Russian forces received no artillery or close air support and had no anti-tank weapons. We continue to observe strong evidence that Russian forces are suffering a shortage of ATGM and man-portable anti-tank weapons. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, provided additional intelligence due to clear weather. Intense fighting was indicated in the industrial area of Bakhmut with multiple thermal anomalies. It also indicated that Russian forces were attempting to interdict the T-504 highway G-lock with artillery strikes north of the area where the MiG-17 World War II memorial once stood and in eastern Chasivyar in the area of the roadway. Fighting continued south of Ivanivske with no change to the situation, and the GSAFU reported that an attack in the direction of Chasivyar was repulsed. 
The United States news agency ABC News reported that Russian-sympathizing civilians in Bakhmut are reporting Ukrainian troop movements and positions. In at least one case, Russian-aligned insurgents installed a tracking device on a Ukrainian military vehicle, resulting in its destruction. Our assessment here? The distance between the northern and southern Russian advance is down to four kilometers. While Russian forces are blocked from crossing the Bakhmutovka River in force, they continue pushing closer to the urban center of Bakhmut. The Russian military remains committed to capturing Bakhmut at all costs, short of Seaburn. Ukraine will withdraw when its military leadership has determined its defense no longer serves a strategic purpose. PMC Wagner's assault on the industrial area is likely a strategic decision to prevent an Azovstal-style siege, which would be more difficult to maintain and easier for Ukrainian forces to break through. The Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut is now at a critical point. If Russian forces make further territorial gains, the value of maintaining the defense will reach a point of rapidly diminishing returns when viewed only through the lens of the Bakhmut operational area and not the entire theater of war. Additionally, as the Ukrainian operational area gets smaller, the handful of pro-Russian sympathizers waiting for what they view as liberation will provide more intense interference. Ukrainian forces are in a no-win situation. Forced deportation of the civilian population would require military resources, and each person would need to be screened, which would feed into Russian propaganda. Even under the banner of declaring perpetrators illegal combatants, extrajudicial actions would erode support while giving Russian propaganda an awful lot to work with. In Kostyantanivka, Russian forces fired Uragan rockets armed with cluster munitions from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, into residential areas, wounding five people. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at News. In southwest Donetsk in the Avdiivka operational area, the Second Army Corps, formerly of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, continued their attacks on the Krasnohorivka Plateau and Kamyanka. A graphic video showed light infantry troops from the 2nd Army Corps attempting to hold positions on the top of the Krasnohorivka Plateau, east of the village. The Russians lacked artillery, armor, or close-air support, and had no anti-tank weapons. They came under intense artillery and direct tank fire, suffering catastrophic losses. The video was geolocated in the gray zone, in the area we assessed through terrain analysis on March 12th. Based on this information, and no follow-up from any other source, we maintain Krasnohorivka is contested. In Kamyanka, both Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that Russian troops had reached, but not crossed, the H-20 highway, which aligns with our March 12th map update. Russian troops continued to attack Avdiivka head-on, with Wargonzo again reporting the attacks were coming from, quote, the south, but not specifying geography. Russian forces continued to pound off the Ivka with artillery, grad rockets fired from MLRS, and airstrikes. 
A school previously damaged in 2022 was leveled by a rocket attack, killing one civilian. The 1st Army Corps, formerly of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, continued attacks west of Vodyana along the northern edge of Perevomaiske and north towards Sievrne. Russian forces continued attempts to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske and remained unsuccessful. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued in the former town of Marinka, and Russian forces continued their attempts to capture the pig farm east of Pobida. In the Wuhledar operational area, there were reports of continued fighting in the Mikilska Dachas, while Russian forces continued to shell Wuhledar. In Russian-occupied Stari Krim, north of Mariupol, Social media reports supported by videos and pictures reported an explosion, followed by Russian air defenses launching rockets. Pictures showed black smoke rising from the area, but the source was unclear. DNR officials accuse Ukraine of shelling Russian-occupied Volnovakha with rockets fired by MLRS, landing in the area of the First Republican supermarket and the, quote, surrounding infrastructure, killing two people. Pictures from Russian state media and DNR officials showed that the supermarket was not targeted, but a complex of warehouses adjacent to the area was. The photos are graphic, so be forewarned. Video after the attack showed the grocery store suffered broken windows on the second floor, and one person outside the entrance was killed by flying debris. Before the incident, Residents shared multiple videos of air defense missiles active over the town, once home to 20,000 people. The impact crater and building damage shown in the pictures and videos were inconsistent with missile debris falling or an errant S-300 air defense missile striking the area. New border crossing rules established by old-school Russia for illegally annexed Russia, which isn't Russia, aren't going well. A video showed huge queues from occupied Ukraine to Russia at the Uspenka border crossing. Moving on to Zaporizhia. The GSAFU claimed that the Russian employees of Rosatom at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant have had their contracts terminated. Rosatom refuses to sign new contracts or extend existing contracts and won't provide transportation back to Russia. That would, of course, be the old-school pre-2014 Russia, not the fake we annex Zaporizhia illegally Russia. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, did not release a statement, and Energoatom only repeated the GSAFU report. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported the Black Sea fleet was busy yesterday constantly changing the composition of deployed vessels. At the start of the day, four ships were on patrol and none were missile carriers. Later, two frigates capable of launching 16-caliber cruise missiles entered the Black Sea, followed by a Kilo-class submarine. One of the frigates returned to port in the evening, followed by the other missile carrier and the Kilo-class submarine. Then a different Kilo-class submarine went on patrol, ending the day with one missile carrier capable of launching four-caliber cruise missiles. In western and central Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery across the Dnipro River. Russian forces executed 93 fire missions, 
firing 412 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets, and indirect tank fire. The city of Kherson was shelled four times, killing one and wounding six. Kherson Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Oleksandr Prokudin announced that a curfew was in effect from March 13th to 17th, from 1700 hours to 0630 hours. The restrictions were made due to specific intelligence that Russian DRG units were planning a provocation in Kherson. Four Explosive Ordnance Disposal, or EOD, experts were moderately wounded in Posad Pokrovsk. The team was working on demining efforts when a booby-trapped munition unexpectedly exploded. All four are in the hospital, with none in critical condition. Russian collaborator Vitali Huda must not be a popular guy. Insurgents from Atesh made a second assassination attempt on the Russian-appointed deputy head of administration of occupied Novokhovka. Atesh claimed on their social media channel that Huda was attacked by an explosive device, quote, near his car. Russian state media agency Baza stated that Huda was hospitalized. Separate from the assassination attempt, Novokhovka and Olishki were shelled. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Kyiv, the start of the work week and colder weather caused electrical demand to outstrip supply, forcing rolling blackouts to return. The Holosievsky, Sviatoshinsky, Shevchenkivsky, and Solomyansky districts were impacted, with the emergency measures discontinued at the end of the workday. In Cherniev, Russian forces launched the broadest and largest cross-border shelling of 2023. Seventy-four mortars and artillery shells were fired at seven villages located on the Ukrainian border. There were no reports of significant damage or injuries. In Sumy, Operational Command North, or OCN, reported Russia fired grad rockets at Znobnovhorodsk, striking a vocational high school specializing in farming. One person was killed and five wounded. The Esman Hromada was struck by mortars near the village of Bachivsk, damaging a, quote, civilian building. Seredina Buda was shelled, damaging four homes. On the Russian front in Bilgorod, air defense was active, with Russian officials claiming four missiles were shot down. A 5,000-square-meter military warehouse in Odintsovo, Moscow region, burned to the ground. The cause of the fire was not available at the time of publication. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov told Russian state media agency RIA Novosti, quote, There are no reasons for the situation in Ukraine to move towards a peaceful course at the moment. Achieving our goals continues to be our absolute priority and will always remain so. This is currently only possible through military means. End quote. We really hope that you're not shocked by that revelation. Ukraine's Operational Command North, OCN, commanding officer Major General Viktor Nikolyuk was appointed commander of the Ground Forces Training Command of the Ukrainian Armed Forces. Brigadier General Dmitry Krasilnikov was named the new commander of OCN. Power outages were still affecting the city of Kharkiv and the Zhitomir Oblast from the March 9th Russian missile and drone attacks. In Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia, 
Power outages continued due to repeated S-300 anti-aircraft missile strikes and MLRS rocket attacks in the region. Luxembourg provided 14 armored ambulances built by the British company Venari. The first eight are already being shipped. You may remember in our January 2023 interview with Sarah Ashton Cirillo, she expressed that Ukraine desperately needs armored ambulances. Training of Ukrainian troops in the operation of Leopard 2 tanks in Germany is nearing completion, with Ukrainian forces engaged in live-fire exercises. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.